Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on black and white and red all over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 19, the Domenico Crescito episode. You know, it's it's hard when a guy wears ni- number 19 for the better part of a decade, so options are, are limited. So we had to go back to the, the <laughs> Ranieri days, which were appropriate because Juventus just faced the Claudio Ranieri managed team, so... As you can probably guess, we will be talking about Juventus's big season opening win in Andrea Pirlo's debut. So let me bring in two of the three usual suspects since we are Chucksless this week. We've got Sam LaPresti. Hello, Sam. How's it going, Danny? It's good to know that at least two of my sports teams are not <laughs> are not doing what Juventus did on Sunday, which is win games. Yeah. That is, yeah. The other two are to invoke the dearly absent. Not great, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> see, we used to give Chuck's crap about Tim Vickery references. We'll see how many Chuck's references we can get in this week. And we've got <laughs> Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. How you doing? Happy to be here. Quick question. Did, did anybody use the 19 when Bonucci was in Milan? I don't think Anybody I don't think it? so. Didn't no, it wasn't issued. In memoriam. Okay, cool. <laughs> in memoriam. <laughs> All right, we will we will start with said game in which number 19, Leonardo Bonucci, scored one of the three goals. And what a debut for Andrea Pirlo. I mean, it's it was something that I think a lot of us were entering with cautious optimism. Although, you know, say drink the fourth wheel on our podcast, maybe was a little skeptical than than the rest of us here, but we'll start out with this one or two big takeaways for either one of you guys. And if the Mexico international on the podcast doesn't say Weston McKinney, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> My first big takeaway is Chucks was wrong. So there's that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to report that. I'm ready to call that a win already. No, I think obviously, I think it was better than any of us expected. I think that's fair to say, right? I mean, I, I mentioned it in, in this week's grab back. I, I was happy with like a win, a solid one nil win, and you know, a few flashes here and there, finally knowing what, what formation he was going to use. That's kind of what I was expecting. And what we saw was a, a squad that very much is on the same page, something that I was not really expecting to, to be like so easily seen and so quickly seen. So that was, that was really, really good. Obviously, McKinney, a huge surprise. I don't think anybody expected him to start over Bentancur, for example, which was you know a player that we all thought would, would get the nod over him. But McKinney started. He played great. He was fantastic. And obviously, the, the big, big surprise for me was Aaron Ramsey, which was a revelation. I mean, this is a dude who we all thought was was, you know, at best going to be like a depth piece and, you know, maybe a trade chip to get someone else. And now he was like the the second coming of Zinedine Zidane out there. Like, it was incredible. Like, he was – his fingerprints were all over the game. That, to me, was the biggest shock. Like, the fact that this guy was there and we didn't see him for a whole year 
and suddenly the first year of the the first game of the Pirlo era, he he plays like this was truly unbelievable. That was my biggest takeaway by far, aside from Chucks being wrong, of course. And, and it's amazing because I, I said this in my match recap. Ramsey was essentially playing the same Trequartista role that he what hadn't been very good at last year when Maurizio Sarri used that four three one two and and tried to experiment with that. So it's it was really incredible to see to see him doing all this stuff and just just being this the creative force that, you know, that had he not been injured so much at Arsenal he could have really grown into that kind of a player on a consistent basis. The thing, and here we go again, we'll, we'll talk about, I'll, I'll use a, a term that Chucks has used in the past on, on the podcast. The thing that really struck me the most was the, the match control that Juventus exerted in this game, you know, cause we were, Juve were up one nil for a really long time in this game, but at no point, during that period, did I think that the equalizer was imminent? Like so many times last year in 1-0, you just, it, it, when Juventus was up 1-0, you'd just get agita because you, you had, you know, you were waiting for that one guy to, to miss a kick or scuff a pass or do something and it, and it would be 1-1. And at no point on, on Sunday did I feel that worry about, you know, that this, you know, potential coming equalizer, which I can't really remember the last time that was a thing. Like even Allegri's last season, there was like this constant nervousness about that. And here all of a sudden we get a team that just absolutely dominated a game. And yes, Sampdoria isn't, the absolute greatest but they have a very good coach they have some good you know they have some good pieces and you know you saw at the beginning of the second half Ranieri inserted Gaston Ramirez back into the 11 and Sampdoria for a second got a much bigger sting in its tail there were a couple of shaky moments in the 51st 52nd minute that were like the one time where I was like oh no but then it just went right back into that rhythm and Juventus just never never looked like they lost control of this game. And that if, if they can take that and do it against the bigger teams, then we have the makings of something. Cause th- this was, this exceeded all of my expectations. I thought we'd be able to beat Samp. I thought we'd maybe be able to, you know, slog our way to something like two one, but this was a different pot entirely. Yeah. I think the match, control was the most surprising thing to me because like like you Sam I'm sitting there at one nothing going okay a second goal you know we've seen what this defense can do last season with a one nothing lead and it wasn't all that impressive and then all of a sudden it's just one nothing still and one nothing still and you know obviously you know Ronaldo's missing some chances and you know some other chances are going high and wide and it's just like okay Second goal. We don't want don't want one one to happen, and that it never happened. And that was the most. And it surprising. never felt like it was going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. And 
maybe it's just the the year of what last season was, which you know is a legitimate year because the season lasted twelve months. It just it it's kind of conditioned me to kind of maybe expect a one nothing lead to not be a one nothing lead at some point. Whereas in previous years under Conte and then the beginnings of Allegri, you you felt pretty good about a one nothing lead because the defense was so good. But now it's like if if they can control and we'll obviously get into what's coming this this weekend in a in a minute here, but if they can do this against bigger teams, then like you said, Sam, something good is going to be happening. And yeah, the, yeah, it's just it was just it was just a, a change for the better. And I think you said it uh, in your recap as well that Juventus is fun again. And yeah, after last season, just grinding through so many results. And, you know, we can probably count on two hands at most the, the games that we probably actually and really truly enjoyed from start to finish. Now it's like, okay, Pirlo's set the, set the baseline. And obviously they're not going to play like that every game because that would just be wild expectations. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, I was cautiously optimistic to begin with. And now it's like, where, where can we go from here? Yeah, and I think that the, the def- one thing about the defense really that really struck me, and you know, a lot of there had been a lot of questions when you hear about you know what you know when we first heard the the first snippets of what Pirlo's wanted his football to be, of you know pressing hard to get the ball back and as uh, immediately. Some people were like, and and you know, pat you know, passing you know, controlling the game with passing. Some people were like, how much different from Saudi actually is that? I even think I heard Matteo Benetti on ESPN say that at one point. But the the there was a huge difference in the defense to me in that when it came to Saudi and pressing, that meant pressing with a really high line. Out of possession I saw the defense kind of back the the back three settle back the way we would with Allegri and Conte and leaving the big press to the mids and the wing backs and the full and the the forwards. And a, and and a lot I, of the time it was 4-4-2 when they were defending. Yeah. That's that's something uh, that I really noticed is that it when they lost the ball and Sampdoria was really pushing forward, it quickly became 4-4-2. And you could yeah. tell that they were drilled in that. There wasn't any confusion or chaos or whatever. It was really yeah, but, a quick transition. But it was it was really kind of a it was kind of a hybrid of 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 the traditional Italian. You lose the ball and you drop back your your lines, and that insane press that saw you know McKinney absolutely everywhere. Aaron Ramsey led the team in tackles. I don't think anybody won that prop bet um (laughs) i don't even know if that was possible for a prop bet it was so out of of, uh, (laughs) realistic uh, possibilities but yeah that that's to see that 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 kind of change in defensive system is a really interesting wrinkle and again to you know to see what is going forward because you know i mean as and as much as i i said this in my recap too as much as i want to like sing off the rooftops you know we were at this stage last year when you know after the first inter game at the beginning of october when everyone was like oh crap sadismo is here like this is the first you know the beginnings of it and then it, the team went uh, went out for the for the international break came back and fell off a cliff so like that's like i i'm trying to temper 
my enthusiasm right now with with the you know this isn't quite you know this isn't this isn't achievement unlocked yet but it's such a great first sign it is and you know the funny thing that you mentioned about the the ramsey thing being the leader in tackles of the team I do agree with you, and, and obviously it's a common thread that a lot of people said, like, oh, Pirlo, he wants to, you know, move the ball and get the ball really quickly, and that's on that awfully simplistic, but an awfully similar to what Sarri tried to do unsuccessfully. But I think it's it's a whole different ball game when you have guys like Ramsey or like Kulusevsky up front doing that type of pressing and doing that type of getting the ball back because at best, you know, and, and I'm obviously a big fan of the guy, but at best, guys like Paulo Dybala, for example, they, they add really nothing to that press. They, they will run around and do the effort, but they're not really the type of guy that will actually get the ball back. With guys like Ramsey, who I cannot believe we continue to sing his praises, but he was legitimately really good on Sunday. He could do that. He could actually hound players, and he could actually get the ball back, and he could actually do that job. Which, again, you know, we did, as, as Sam said, Sarri tried it and he failed miserably last year. And this year, well, this season, really, because it's the same year, but this season, we saw a completely different player. We saw a guy like Kulusevsky who has like a much more, you know, physically, he's just a much more imposing guy. He can do those type of like pressing and hounding guys for the ball. It was just a really, really interesting way of lining up, I thought in a really, really interesting way of transitioning between attacking and defense, which, again, I'm extremely shocked and, and pleasantly surprised that we can see these types of, of concepts and, and just cohesion in the, in the squad so early into the, the Andrea Pirloera, which we're talking about they've been training together for, what, like six weeks maybe? A little less than six weeks. So it's, it's a little bit – it is very, very, uh, you know – I'm very optimistic about what we can see about this team moving forward, considering this was their first game. And again, caveat, caveat, Sampdoria, I know. But, I mean, we saw this very same team last year play against the likes of Sampdoria and Udinese and all those teams and, you know, play nothing like we saw last week. So, yeah, obviously, you know, again, caveat, 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 but very optimistic about about this team in general and about what we saw Sunday. Can we talk about Gianluca from uh, Frabotta for a second? Yes, another <laughs> prophet that probably no. Like, has. yeah, that was that was a that was a great shift. And like, I remember the last game of the season when you know everyone was just playing the scrubs. I was impressed by what Frabotta, uh, Frabotta brought. I I had been really impressed by what by the way he had looked. I was not in any way expecting him to start this game. You know, even with with Sandro out for a couple of weeks, I was like, okay, MDS, I guess. Uh, especially considering the potential, tra- you know, one of the potential transfer stuff. Really, not potential anymore, unfortunately. That we'll I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. But dang, kid was good. And then Deshilio came in as kind of like a. A defensive closer at that wingback spot, which I actually think if we were to keep Mattia Tichilio this year, that would actually be a really, really good role for him. Especially if you have Quadrado as the right wingback for, for the majority of a, of a game. 
there was there was a point a year about about two years ago where I was talking with Tal at a game and referred to Dishilio as kind of a fullback version of Barzali that season. He had been having a really good season, and you know he's not he's not he's nothing special going forward. But defensively, when he's healthy and locked in, he's a really good defensive fullback. So I can I can definitely see him coming in to a game where Juventus is holding on to a lead and being that kind of wide stopper to work it. But man, if, if Frabotta, you know, keeps growing behind Sandro this year and somebody wises up and actually keeps Pellegrini in the team next season, the left, the left flank looks pretty good. As as somebody said, I believe in our game thread, it's clear that Andrea Pirlo's week of, coaching the under 23 team really paid off because that's where he was able to discover <laughs> for both that guy talent. really shown yeah no it's it's it was wild i mean when the lineup was announced i was legit like who is this guy i had legitimately forgotten about that guy. It's like why who why are we starting him like i know sandra's injured but still like i was very much ready for a lot of the siglio which by the way if you want the biggest proof that everyone's like very optimistic and all smiles is like we're all talking ourselves into Mattia De Siglio being good for whatever reason. Optimism is hey, back, he, baby. Optimism is so high that everyone's like, yeah, no. You, De Siglio, he almost you can, scored you a really damn good goal yes, uh, yesterday, too. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's odd, like 15, 20 minutes or whatever he played. He was, he was fine. He was decent. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him that. He was okay. But yeah, I mean, He doesn't need to be more than that. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, in this lineup with the back line, like the three center backs type of thing, yeah, I'm guessing he, he just needs to be fine, which is Mattia De Siglia's destiny, I guess. Just just be fine for once. Just be okay. Before we get to the transfer dealings of the day, and right before we hit record, there are obviously a few transfer dealings to talk about, or at least I want to touch on the midfield, especially because – that was the big question mark coming into not only this game, but the season as a whole. And as we saw from Pirlo, it's very much a 3-4-2, which I think James Horncastle mentioned at points when Juve was attacking, it was almost like a 3-2-5. So how many times have you even thought of a 3-2-5 being at Juventus? You know, the the old attack-minded Juventus. So obviously it's very much two holding midfielders and a trequartista or a more advanced midfielder at the very least. And the Weston McKinney, Adrian Ravio pairing, as we saw in the friendly against Navarro seems to be working pretty well. And they've got a lot of chemistry. And I mean, the amount of energy those two brought to the, the game Sunday was ridiculous, but yeah, I mean, what do you guys think of the midfield and just the kind of the possibility that maybe the midfield isn't as bad as we thought? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of nuts to think about, but now, like, after actually looking at one game, after actually watching one pure that game, now I'm thinking, like, maybe we have too many midfielders. Like, maybe we don't need that many guys because if you're just going to play with two guys and, like, a, a guy in the hole, a trequartista, then you don't really, like, now, and especially after seeing Rabiot and McKinney, the way they play together, the way Rabiot is, is, continues to be the, the Rabiot of late last season, who is a really, really good midfielder, a really, really good all-around midfielder. And McKinney, who is 
a true revelation. I mean, from, from what we've seen, if this is anything, what we can expect going forward, then, you know, that Schalke deal, it's a really, really good deal, apparently. So it, it's good. And especially what I really liked about McKinney was his, his flexibility was incredible. Like he played the entire game central midfielder. He was all over the pitch. And then to close the game out, they just shifted him out right. And then they brought in Bentancourt. That, and he played there pretty well, too. So, and that was the point where he almost scored his goal from that yeah, right-wing exactly. spot. Like he, and he was good. Like you, like, you didn't see a guy who was, like, you know, kind of, like, makeshift, believe, playing another position. He was good there. Like, if he had lined up on the right side the entire game, it wouldn't have been fine. Like, I mean, again, first game, you know, whatever. But if that was his first game, that's really impressive. That's awfully, awfully impressive. And we might actually all have to, you know, apologize to Juventus scouting because when, when the transfer came out of nowhere, I was like, who is this guy? Why are we signing this guy? Well, apparently he was really, really good and just people didn't notice in the apparent tire fire that was Schalke last season. So, I mean, if, if we have a guy like McKinney and he continues to perform like this, that solves a lot of things for Juventus midfield. A lot, a lot of things. I was struck by Pirlo's assertion at the post-match press conference that all of his, you know, the, the four central mids are better as a pair than as a three. And that seems to be how he's approaching this right now to use as a double pivot. And it's something that's intrigued me because when you talk to, to Donald, from Stars and Stripes after McKinney was signed. Uh, no, it wasn't him. It, sorry. It was when you talked with the Barca guys when Artur was signed. Yeah. Sorry. Renato said Artur is best in a double pivot. And here we were thinking, you know, from the minute that that signing was announced, mm-hmm. that he would almost be playing as a regista. Now he's probably not. That's a really interesting, because we haven't played a double pivot since Allegri freaked out at the number of goals the the 4-2-3-1 was giving up at the beginning of the 17-18 season and and ditched it so that's going to be really interesting it is going to be interesting about depth especially when Paulo Dybala gets back because I have a feeling that Paulo Dybala could end up playing that Ramsey position so that makes you wonder whether Ramsey would move back into the double pivot as a as a piece of depth in that double pivot and whether or not Hussein Awar is still a target and what will happen in the lineup if he is, because there's still a lot of chatter about him. Basically they say it's down to, it's down to between us and Arsenal for him. So I'm really, really intrigued by how that's going to work, what the depth is going to work, how that rotation is going to be. Cause you know, you've got, four really talented guys that you can cycle through there and you can put and you can keep McKinney on the field and put him practically anywhere. Like you said, Sergio. So that's going to be really, really interesting, but yeah, you, I mean, Sergio, it was, you, you said in one of your last grab bags of the restart, maybe, you know, after Rabio started to really pick up, maybe this midfield isn't as bad as we thought it was. And I think you might've hit the nail on the head with that. Sergio was right. Again, yet again, <laughs> getting tired of so much winning over here. But, you know, the, the thing is, like, you know, and, and I was sort of right, but at the same time wrong, because I was pointing out to Bentancur continue to develop 
and Rabiot and, and Arthur. And turned out that Bentancourt nor Arthur actually played that much. Well, Bentancourt came in for the last like 10 minutes, but, you know, Arthur didn't even play. And it was really McKinney who kind of like held it together. So, I mean, it, it's going to be tricky, especially if, if, if the plan now is to play a double pivot. You might actually have like too many midfielders now. And if you bring in a guy like Awar, which is, he's a great player. I, I, obviously, if they actually do bring him in, that'd be awesome because he's a really good player. But now, like, you probably have to even sell someone or something because now you have a lot of guys for two positions. So it, it's going to be really, really interesting to see. You know, the, the thing is, and again, if this continues, if Rabiot continues with the level he's shown, and if McKinney continues to, to develop and to play to the level he's shown, and you still have Mentancourt and you still have Arthur, suddenly that midfield does look, like, pretty 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 decent pretty pretty good and it stops being that you know area of worry that we were thinking about you know all off season and, and really all of the previous season too like it, it solves a lot of things for you you know squad wise to have those guys playing to the level they're playing so let's see if they can if they can keep it up yeah and the good news is we're gonna get a test real quick yep. as to just how good this entire team is going to be because we've got Roma on Sunday and then Napoli the Sunday after that. That's true. Um, I mean, Roma didn't look that all that impressive against Verona, but you know, I mean, I agree with you. The, the two next rivals are, are going to be really like a step above, you know, Sampdoria, all, all due respect to Sampdoria, but they're not really like a litmus test for, for how good this team can really be. But that's that's the fun thing. Like we're gonna see really, really quick if this team is for real. So, I mean, it's just it's it's all excitement from my end right now. I mean, I'm just really, really happy to to have seen the things we saw on Sunday. And I agree with you, Sam. Like that that's probably the most fun 90 minutes we've I've had watching Juventus in like a long time. Probably the couple inter games, maybe the first Napoli game. Outside of that, I don't really recall just having that much fun watching Juventus in a while. Well, we could very much see this coming weekend a player that we thought Juventus was going to sign all of a couple of days ago. And then <laughs> in the, oh, I'd probably say the seven or eight hours before we started recording here, all hell broke loose and one deal seemed to fall apart, not because of Juventus. So don't get mad at Fabio Paratici for that. And then... An old buddy of ours is now officially landed in Turin, and I would assume his deal will be made official before this podcast go lives, and that's Alvaro Morata. And the thing that surprises me the most, obviously, besides the fact that Morata is basically on the brink of coming back to Juventus, is that We've gone from Luis Suarez to Dzeko, maybe back to Suarez, then back to Dzeko, and then all of a sudden Morata out of nowhere, and here we are with Juventus's new number nine is their old number nine, and it's just, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I mean, I, I'm happy that Alvaro Morata is back and playing in a country where he seemed really, really happy, and hopefully that results in lots and lots of goals. Here comes the new boss. <laughs> same as the old boss. No, I, I love this. And 
I've been wanting this since like it was like one of those like throwaway rumors that came in the middle of August that like one person said and then nothing else. And I think, you know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I think this is given the market, given the state of the market and the state of Juventus's finances, this is the best move I think we could have made at the number nine. Morata is significantly younger than either Jekko or Suarez, uh, almost 10 years in the case of Jekko. Then you've got the fact that he's played with Dybala here. He's played with Ronaldo in Madrid. He knows how to work off of both of them. And he's not necessarily going to be, he's not going to need to be the guy which I think is going to be really mentally freeing for him. And also, like you said, he loved it here. Like you remember that last game he played for Juventus when he won the Coppa Italia with that extra time goal, he was kissing the badge. He was, he was going right to the fans. I don't think he wanted to go back and Real Madrid forced everyone's hand with that op with that buyback I, I personally think that if he had been able to stay, he would, he would have stayed straight through until now. He would still be the number nine. The Iguain deal never would have happened. A lot of other things could have gone really differently. And I mean, think for a second of a, you know, of a situation where Pirlo has to go for broke and he throws Morata, Ronaldo, Morata and Ronaldo in the strike pair and Dybala right behind them. Like, if I'm a defender, that's frightening to me. Hell, throw Kulusevsky you know? in there as well. And I mean, yeah, just, and throw Kulusevsky something like throw Kulusevsky on the wing. <laughs> it's just it's just like, one more option, and I think that's that's. Yeah. The, and as I, as we know, Morata isn't you know he's he's like Dybala where he's not totally comfortable playing out wide, but he's capable of it. So it's flexibility, and I think that's yeah what we're really starting to see from the squad is that Andrea Pirlo really has options to go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, it does create a bit of it creates a bit of a logistical problem for our club in New York because before we went before we went official. Okay, this is a story. Before we went official, there was a guy that would come and watch with us all the time. His name is Vincenzo, and he was he was Italian, and he was I think in the U.S. on a student visa. And he he the year that the year that Morata left, he also left to go to to I think he lives in Marseille now. He looks exactly like Alvaro Morata. He is an absolute dead ringer. And every time Morata would score at the bar, we'd all just dogpile him. And it is now clear that we have to go to Marseille and kidnap him and bring him back to New York. That's just obvious. obvious. We have to. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm... I'm especially happy with this just just because of whatever we can do to kind of like reunite that, you know, 2015 squad that made the Berlin final. I'm I'm all for it. Number one, just because I'm I'm a mark. I'm extremely, like I mean, they could right now announce that they're bringing back like Patrice Brown. I'd be like hell yeah, like let's go. But you know, not only because of that, but because of all like Sam mentioned, of all the other options that were being thrown around. This is just so much better than what the other options were. And listen, no disrespect to, to Checo. He's he's a good player. I'm sure that if he would have come to Juventus, he would have been fine. He would have been serviceable. But with the terms that they were throwing around, you know, money-wise and salary-wise, you're like, I'm not 
this is a guy that you're going to get for like 16 million euros. You're going to pay him essentially what you paid Gonzalo Higuain. And he's going to be here for two years. And then you have no resale value on the guy. So it's the same thing that you were facing with Higuain. And, and then Suarez is like, yeah, he's better, but you're going to have to pay him a lot of wages. And I mean, all of the other options had a lot of like cons against them. And Alvaro Morata, not only is he like, a, I think he's still a good, really good player. It's 16 goals last season. That's pretty decent. But the terms of the deal that are being reported are outrageously good for Juventus. It's a 9 million loan for the first year with an option for a second loan for another 9 million second year, and then an option to buy for 35 million on the third year, which if we're at that point, if Morata has been here for two years and he's been that good that we can just like say, yeah, let's buy him 35 million euros for a good striker in a normal market is really good value. So at that point you have no risk. If he doesn't perform, you cut him loose after one year or, you know, or he is really good and you can get a very good striker at a very decent rate. I mean, I think that's a really, really good deal. Any shape, way, or form you want to look at it. I'm really excited. This is probably the best, the, the most excited I've been for like a, a transfer rumor. That is not even a rumor. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's, I mean, it's not officially official yet, but it's pretty much official at this point. The man's in Turin. Yeah, I mean, he is there and I'm, I don't <laughs> think he just went there to vacation. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely happy with this one. I think this is a great signing. And like all of you said, it gives Juventus a lot of flexibility up front. And I think with the glut of competitions that we're going to get, I think that's, that's very good. That's something that they need. And they didn't necessarily have last year. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing how, how Morata gets into the squad, which... If he's in Turin already, maybe he, he's actually called up for the Roma game, right? I mean, probably. Yeah, I mean, who knows what, what will have to happen in terms of COVID protocol and, and all that. But uh, okay. if, he, if he might have to quarantine, because I know Atletico Madrid had some issues in terms of players and their manager testing positive ahead of their season opener, which our, uh, our sister blog, Into the Calderon, has been tweeting out pretty much for the last couple of weeks that it's, you know, X it's September 18th and Atleti has only signed a backup goalkeeper made a loan deal permanent. And Oh yeah, by the way, the coach just tested positive for COVID-19 <laughs> and the season starts this weekend. So, yeah. well, well now they'll have Suarez. Lucky them. Yeah. Although apparently I, I apparently saw that like, apparently there was a list included in his release from Barcelona on teams that he couldn't sign with and Bartomeu wanted to include Atleti but didn't put it on the actual paper so now he's like in a rage and wants to renegotiate it and I like oh. that Barcelona that team is, is a cluster a, that team is a cluster yeah. Barcelona, but, um, Barcelona being a mess who would have who would have predicted yeah, the, that the other final card. like who would have thought that who would have thought that like being after Two years of making like the, these huge money moves: Ronaldo, Delict, Iguain before COVID, that. Co- Iguain before that. Like COVID, what COVID is a catastrophe and a tragedy. But the fact that the loss of revenue kind of forced Juventus back into this, you know, getting the you know almost money ball, getting the efficiencies on the margins, you know, the lower money moves that have a huge that have some the potential of a lot of reward you know without a lot of risk 
all of a sudden we've made, you know, we made that with McKinney. That's looking promising. Morata is relatively low risk given the, ter- like you said, given the terms of that deal. It, it, it's kind of a, it's a little damning actually to, to in, in a way that, you know, we were building the team so well and kind of moved off of that. And here we are making these other moves and th- these moves that we had made at the beginning of the Morata era. And they're the ones that are panning out. You, you know, they're the ones that are making the biggest impact on the team and the way that, you know, the way the team seems to play. And that's going to get the stands on me over Ronaldo. But still, like, I already sacrificed myself to them once this week. <laughs> but it's really, really interesting to see that these these kinds of moves are starting to come back into the Juventus lexicon. And the fact that they are at least initial indications that they're panning out. And it might, you know, might be time to start doing that again. And this one certainly was a bit of a salve for me after yesterday when the news came out that Luca Pellegrini was going to get loaned out again, which I find completely unnecessary. And, and... Frappotta is here to make you forget. If you like, here, I, I was actually saying this because we were able to sit outside. We were able to sit in the outdoor seating at Legends and watch the game yesterday. So I went and I was talking with Tal. And at one point I said, if you like, after another Frabotta was playing really great at that point, And I was looking and like, if you like Frabotta that much, Pellegrini, I think, showed enough in the Cagliari loan last year that you can trust him. Why not just keep the two of them and sell Sandro and there's your money for your extra transfer if you want. You know, PSG just got PSG just lost Juan Bernat for the next 6 or 7 months cuz he tore his ACL. They need that kind of a player. Why not pull the trigger on that and keep Pellegrini and, you know, maybe that's a bit of a roll of the dice given experience, but if a guy's got it, he's got it. I I've never liked the oh, he doesn't have experience in X competition. Well, you know, if he's another year on loan, isn't going to make a difference if he actually does or doesn't. Um, I agree. I agree on that end. But I, I mean, I don't know how comfortable would you be just going with Pavarotta and Pellegrini and the Sequio as like your only options as, a, as on the left wing. You know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, and, and and that would actually be really appealing to me. Like, I would be perfectly okay with that. But considering, you know, again, you are on the, you know not only just Ronaldo, but you have a, a squad that is very much built to kind of win now. So I think you have to keep on. To, you have to hold on to those players that you know you can, you know, throw on in big Champions League moments. And, you know, I mean, the objective has to, I'm assuming, remains to win the, the Champions League, even if in, only in theory, maybe. But, I mean, I'm assuming that has to be the, the internal objective. So maybe that's why they're not super keen on, on, you know, just like rolling the dice on that. But, I, I was just so happy when, for a few moments there, Mattia De Silvio was no longer a part of my life. I really thought that was going to be <laughs> a really great thing for me. And, and then everything fell apart, and now he's, like, playing again. So, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's that's interesting, though. I, I don't know if there's, like, a huge market for Sandro right now, but that, that'd be that'd be interesting, especially with what we saw from Rabota, which was really honestly – very, very, you know, pleasing, surprisingly pleasing. I mean, knowing Pellegrini's injury history, I don't know if relying on him for a heavy workload at this point would be all that great. But 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where do you, like you mentioned, Sergio, it's very much win now. So how much faith in the youth? And obviously, you know, Pellegrini's not at a Kulusevsky level by any means. So it's not like, I mean, I think we can all agree Kulusevsky is just brimming with superstar to be. Yeah, he can oh, only play with, with the big boys, and it's it's fine. Like really, you can't really even tell he's young. I mean, you could you could just see how how much he oozed confidence after. I mean, he had no reaction to that goal, so it's like it's almost like he expected was, it. And his his reaction. I was so is, proud of my son on his first day of school. <laughs> <laughs> his sixth freaking touch is that goal. I mean, come on. <laughs> and I think I mentioned it on the on the post about Juventus and Genoa basically agreeing to. It. It's like we don't. We might be fans of Pellegrini, but who really knows what the inside feeling of Pellegrini is? So, you know, I, I mean, it, it, it's tough to see him go out on loan again as Spinozola seems to be establishing himself at Roma. And here we go blaming Roma again because obviously they didn't buy De Shiglio. So, yeah. Mm. I mean, it's... They, they, they just brought me so much pain lately. <laughs> but they've also brought us so much pleasure because their failure to sign Milik is why Morata is currently That's getting true. out of a plane in, at, at Castelli. <laughs> that is true. I was very much ready to be like half excited for Checo. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, fine. I guess we're doing this, but I'm actually really excited about Morata. So yeah, I guess you, you, get, a, you get a one for that, Roma. Thanks. Shall we answer some Twitter questions, gentlemen? Yes, let's. All right. Before before that, really quick, and I yes. can't believe we broke out, but really quick shout out to Giorgio Chiellini. He came back. He played really yeah. well. He didn't get injured, which was the most important thing. <laughs> and so we're already doing better than last season. So that, that put, was great. I, my heart went in my mouth when he let, when he came off. I was like, oh god, oh god, oh god. <laughs> yeah. I, I think. I mean, nothing has come out of that, right? It was just like no normal stuff, I guess. It must. It was just like. Minutes, minutes management, and Demerol needed to run. So, like, yeah, that's good. I, I mean, all I'm thinking now is like we're like a few weeks away from potentially seeing like a three-man back line with Kilini, Delict, and and Bonucci, which is that's going to be really, really fun to watch. I think as as long as Kilini gets through October unscathed, and there's an, like there's an international break in there, so you never really know, but. Yeah, he... put him in bubble wrap. I, I hate Mancini's to been him. Mancini's like, been good about like, you know, on for things like the Nations League, which and even in qualifiers of like alternating guys. And, I'm like, you know, so angry if he gets injured playing like against Armenia or whatever it is that they play <laughs> in the Nations League. <laughs> That's going to really bum me out. All right, from our blog friend at Handy Vandy, how are you guys going to celebrate Juventus women winning the treble? Uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to celebrate by beating you for tempting the wrath of the whatever from high atop the thing. That's what I, that's how I'm going to, um, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's my reaction. Way too early, way too early. Wrath, thing, top, don't. I would hope like at a bar, maybe, hopefully we can still do that in a year's time. Uh, Bars. Remember those. The, the, the other time I was talking with a friend of mine and, and for whatever reason, I was just like, I want a beer, but I don't want like a, like a normal beer. I want like a draft beer put on like a frosted mug. Is that too much to ask right now? Like, 
and and we were like yeah it just tastes different and it probably doesn't but i mean it was just the thing like i just want to be out with people paying for overpriced drinks I, i i never thought i would miss it so much so yeah hopefully doing that god willing from my friend arthur schmidt the fourth and i'll tweak his question a little bit since we kind of know who's going to be the number nine coming in here while it's only one game and seeing Andrea Pirlo's tactic, do you think Alvaro Morata is the striker that makes the most sense? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, like we said earlier, he, he is the kind of guy that can, I, I see him being able to work off of every single other forward that we have. Um, you know, he, I think he, you know, he knows how to work off Dybala. He knows how to work off Ronaldo. I can see him dovetailing really well with Kulusevsky. Um, and it's just going to be a really, really interesting. Uh, honestly, the thing that the thing about forwards, you know, if Douglas, if we don't manage to sell Douglas Costa, what does he do? Does he like kind of just play as a weird segunda punta and just like jet around trying to do? Or, sorry. <laughs> I, I guess that's kind of what he did the last, like, I don't know, like 10 minutes. He, he, yeah. he was on the field against Sampdoria, like, which honestly, again, he will be like wildly, wildly overqualified to do that. But that's kind of a neat piece to have, right? Like, I mean, when if you're winning or something and you throw him out there to run the counterattack, I mean, that's that's a nice thing to have. That's a nice luxury to have. But yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see a fit for him in, in, in this system right now because he is like an out-and-out winger with no real other secondary position. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting. I hadn't really thought about it because yeah, he really doesn't have a place in this squad as it's currently, you know I mean, presented to us. And he's not somebody like Bernardeschi who you could see being, as a wing back, kind uh, of like yeah, as a wing back, yeah, exactly. Because you know he's he's done that before, and I think somebody. I mean, he he did play kind of as an as a as an attacking midfielder when he was at Shakhtar. Yeah, he had done that, but it's it's not That's it, a long that time doesn't ago bring. Now. It was a long time ago, and it doesn't bring the best out of him. Yeah, exactly. I mean the the big the big question about Morata then becomes. Where in this formation is the best place for Dybala? Is it as the seconda punta to either Ronaldo or Morata with with Ram, with someone like Ramsey in behind, or is he better in that 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 hole where Ramsey was? I can see him. I can see him causing terror in the attacking third from that position. You know, he's kind of played it in the four-two-three-one under Allegri, so. He's, you know, he's done it. He has those skills. It's going to be really interesting when he finally gets healthy to see what Pirlo's, what Pirlo's call is there. And, and something interesting that kind of relates to, to the question is that Pirlo mentioned in, the, in his post-game presser that you know, he had talked with Ronaldo and that they were talking about maybe managing his minutes a little bit more this season, which would mean something that we haven't really seen in the, in the Ronaldo era in Juventus is him getting benched like for a game or two, which he has been like the, the number one type of guy on the, on the team sheet. If he gets those rests, a guy like Morata, it, it just gives you so much flexibility, which was what we were talking about. Now you could, 
line up with uh, Morata and Dybala up top with Ramsey behind them or with Kulusevski or like it, it gives you so much things to do if like you don't have to fit in Ronaldo and again I'm not saying that you shouldn't fit in Ronaldo he's a really good player he missed a few chances today but I mean did score one I mean he's a good player you want him on your lineup but when if they actually do give him some rest and do bench him occasionally which I think would might actually be good for him because last season we did see a few games for him when he looked gassed he looked tired he looked kind of sloppy which is expected the guy played pretty much every game you know if they actually do manage his minutes and control like his workload a little bit more not only can he be in the best position to succeed whenever he does play but it gives you so much like room to operate and so many players to kind of like put in there and, and experiment with and for that reason, I actually do think that Morata is probably the best player you could have gotten because every other player has, like, is that number nine striker, you know, back to the, back to the goal type of player. Morata is not that, you know, he, he's a much more, you know, flexible type of attacker. He can, you can slot him in different positions. He can run around. He can press. I think for what we saw, the, the early returns of, of, the, of the Pirlo era, I think Morata is, is probably the best. It's going to be really interesting, too, to see because if you remember six or seven years ago, there was a period where Ronaldo went on a really, really bad long-term run of form. And there was a lot of, is he done happening? This was right before Zidane was put in at Real Madrid. And the Zidane seems to be the only human being on the planet that has convinced Ronaldo to take games off because he started because it, during Zidane's his time with Zidane, he would sit for, you know, against the 20th place team in La Liga every now and then, especially if there was a big Champions League game coming. And he he went from that period where there was a legit, you know, people on in ESPN and stuff were like, is he coming to his decline phase? And then just went right back up with that rest. And I wonder if Pirlo, you know, again, being that elite former player that Zidane was might have that kind of cachet to convince him, no, this is how you should be doing it again. Cause I, I do think, I mean, man's going to be 36 by the end of the season. 36 in February, I believe. Yeah. He's going to, he needs his minutes. You need your minutes managed. I don't care if, I mean, yes, he's, he's a machine. He keeps great. He keeps himself in fantastic shape, but time is undefeated and you know if if you have arrested ronaldo going into the bigger games especially during the really congested because there is i mean it's not going to be like the restart but there's going to be some fixture congestion this year just because there's they've basically shaved a month off the season like there's not going to be a winter break this year so i think that that will be a really important aspect of of Pirlo's managing is to see how many games he convinces Ronaldo to take off to conserve his energy. Also coming back really to the question, another reason why Morata is probably the best pick here because he's young. He can probably play yeah. more fixtures. He'll probably be fresher than if you bring in a guy like Checo, who again, you know, I mean, he's again, 36, right? I'm pretty sure he was 36. Yeah. So you can't which, expect him to be a day in. Day which out shocked me when so, I first saw that. I had no idea that he was that old. Yeah, I thought he was like similar to Wayne, like early 30s, but no, 36. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. We would have like his contract would have run out when he was 38. 
I'm I'm just so happy that that he's didn't 34. come to be. Thank you, De Laurentiis. He's 34. He I, be, I could have sworn he was 36. Turned 34 in March. Still oh. a hell of a lot older than I thought he was. Okay. That's right about what I thought. I don't know why I thought he was 36. It just it, it was stuck in my head for whatever reason. Juventus has been interested in so many players in their mid 30s. It's hard to hard yeah, to yeah. Hard they, they started come together. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> the the main question is now that Alvaro Morata back is which one of his exes will Juventus get in the Champions League? Hmm. There's a lot of them out there. Because there's now Real Madrid, there's Atletico, there's Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, out of those three, I would prefer to play Chelsea. Got, um, got Atletico last year, so it's yeah. possible. When is the draw? October 1st. October 1st? October 1st. October 1st. Jesus, like that's not couple weeks not far away (laughs) no not even a couple weeks like a week and a half that's like nine days yep (laughs) yeah i I mean i guess i I would hope to get chelsea too chelsea i'm just and i'm gonna get i don't know if many chelsea fans listen to this podcast i don't i wouldn't think so but chelsea is just like one of those like big little teams i i refer to them it's like psg and man city it's like i'm just don't i just don't really i'm not hugely intimidated by those type of teams i I, i'm assuming not many fans of those clubs hear this podcast so you know i don't think we'll get a lot of a lot of pushback for those comments if you want to forward your complaints to sergio romero it's at manu c underscore (laughs) bwr please do I would love to get into a, a internet fight with the Chelsea hive. <laughs> Chelsea hive. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how many uh, folks from mm-hmm. We Ain't Got No History come over to to visit. Yeah, probably not. Many. Visit our our neck of the woods. But you know, come, who come knows? Maybe you maybe with Morata coming back, he might. They might bring a couple. But uh, we'll we'll wrap things up there. I uh, want to say thank you all for the Twitter questions. We we hit on a good amount of them, just natural conversation wise. So folks who asked about Luca Pellegrini and just kind of more so thoughts on Sunday's game against Sampdoria, we didn't get to call you out officially, but we recognize that your questions were there. So thank you again for the questions. And as always, you can send those to at Juventus Nation on Twitter whenever you so please. So you can listen to us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe there. Rate us. Leave us a review be our friends forever you can also listen to us on spotify and google podcasts as always you can follow us on the usual social media accounts and as i said last week the twitter account is much more active now that there are actual games to speak of so hopefully next week we get chuck's back and we get weston mckinney's number one friend or number one fan i should say uh, hunter sharpless on the pod because as you know, he will be sitting in a Stars and Stripes shirt waving American flags after McKinney racks up another 1,500 tackles against Roma. So, <laughs> First hunter of the season. That'll be, hunter, that'll be exciting. First, first hunter of the season, that's right. Hopefully he can step away from his fancy new barbecue to, to make some time for us. So for Sam, for Sergio, and for the soon-to-be-returning next week Chucks, this is Danny saying thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you guys next week.